right. Hey, hi, everyone. We're here. It's happening. It's happening. If we've never met before, I'm the, my name's Adam. I'm the lead pastor of Highway. And uh, you are stuck with me now. <laughs> I don't know if you've ever had buyer's remorse before. Some of you might have it by the end of this sermon. <laughs> uh, but hey, for now, we're all excited. And uh, man, this week has been amazing. I spent my first week with the staff uh, and got to know their character and their skill. And I'm just so excited. Uh, More excited than at any point in the interview process. I'm excited to see what God wants to do uh, with our community today. Um, And people have been asking me, like, what's your uh, first sermon? Like, what are you going to preach on? Someone actually said that, like, it's like Jesus picking their first miracle. (laughs) I was like, that's, no, don't put that on me. That's really weird. Uh, but people have been asking me, what, what are we going to preach on? And I need to tell you, it's going to be a little weird. <laughs> uh, if you don't know me yet, I can be a little weird or quirky. Just ask my wife. Uh, so we will get to that passage in a second. But first, I want to start with two stories. Okay, story one. It's a Silicon Valley story. Okay, there's a woman who graduates from Stanford, go Cardinals, And she uh, instantly gets into the rush of achievement in Silicon Valley. Uh, She works day and night. She slacks during the day. She codes at night. She uses phrases like machine learning and cloud computing and dev ops. You can tell I have no clue what all that kind of stuff is. Uh, I actually thought it'd be cool to have AI sort of help us with the image. And I gave the prompt. I said, like, give me an image of Silicon Valley that's like uh, rising through achievement and climbing the ladder. And this is what AI came up with. (laughs) Two of them are like, she's climbing a literal ladder. And I don't know if you're close enough to see the faces, but I've had nightmares (laughs) for three days from these. AI, maybe not quite ready to take over the world (laughs) quite yet. Uh, But this is her life. But one day, things change. She loses her job in a series of layoffs. Uh, She finds out one of her high school friends have passed away suddenly. Her landlord lets her know that her rent is increasing drastically and her perspective changes. In the middle of the night, she wakes up, and she has what she thinks is a heart attack, but it's actually her first of many panic attacks. And she begins uh, realizing that she is missing something in her life. And so she does what most people do these days. She starts listening to podcasts on self-improvement. She goes to a meditation retreat. She starts yoga. She starts therapy, and it's all helping, but she still feels like something's missing, and she starts feeling like she's missing a divine connection. So she does something that she never would have thought she would do. She decides to go to a church. Now, nobody in Silicon Valley goes to a church, only weirdos and crazy people. Uh, Her words, not mine. Um, But when she comes, she's actually pleasantly surprised. She She meets some uh, authentic and warm people. She hears some inspiring music. The preacher is funny and surprisingly cool and hip. Uh, I get her words, not mine. Uh, uh, but there's a problem. She starts realizing as she meets these people, she sort of feels like maybe there's not a big difference. They sort of talk a big game about God. They believe in God, but she doesn't see any evidence of them actually connecting with this God. 
they want to change the world, but they're using similar strategies, strategies to everybody else uh, she knows. And so this divine connection, this hope for this is unmet, and she goes on and looks elsewhere. Story two. Uh, many years ago, I had one of the hardest decisions of my life. We were in Oklahoma, and I was in a pretty bad church situation. I was questioning my call uh, to ministry, and that's when I got the opportunity to come do uh, ministry here in the Bay Area. And it was so hard for us. Lori and I were torn uh, to leave our family and come out here to the most expensive place uh, in the country. And so I did what people do. I started making pros and cons lists. I called all of my friends and my mentors. I started journaling uh, my thoughts. I even found this thing online where it was like a weighted decision maker where you could put in like priorities and it would spit out the percentage of the decision you should choose. I had a moment of like shock and surprise because I, I was a professional Christian. <laughs> like my career is devoted to helping people connect with God, and I realized the great irony of this huge decision, I pretty much tried every single strategy except connecting with God. Like maybe I'd prayed a few times, but the majority of my strategies revolved around my logic or my intellect. And uh, I had this moment of shock that I probably wouldn't have told anybody out loud, but as I went deeper into my heart, I realized something that was a little scary for me. I'm not sure deep down I actually believed God could help me. I wasn't sure he would actually speak and guide me. So what's the point of these two stories? Where do they connect together? There's this phrase some of you might have heard before. It's a phrase called functional atheism, sometimes called practical atheism. The Quaker writer Parker Palmer says, functional atheism is a belief that ultimate responsibility for everything rests with us. This is the unconscious, unexamined conviction that if anything decent is going to happen here, we are the ones who must make it happen. A conviction, a conviction held even by people who talk a good game about God. And the former pastor, Rubel Shelley, says, Practical atheism is holding an intellectual commitment to belief in God, but thinking, feeling, and behaving as if there is no God. So it's different than atheism because there's like a stated belief and conviction of God, but then functionally... Uh, you do everything as if it depends on you. And this can happen with people. Maybe this is you this morning, uh, if you're honest. You, you believe in God, you want to follow him, but when it comes to functional things in your life, you turn to things that actually work, uh, like a Google search or money or your abilities. And again, you, you might have been like me. You might not say this out loud to anybody here, but if you're really honest, if you look deep in your heart, you're star starting to lose hope that God would actually help you and guide you and speak to you. And this can happen with churches too. Churches can become a place that is more about uh, having a group of nice people. It's more of a place that can be about routine and maintenance and a group, a gathering can lose the meaning of this entire thing, what this is all about. There's an actual unseen God who is moving and acting. So 
For the next three weeks, my my first three weeks here, we're going to look at a strange passage and ask the question, what is the intention of the church? Why do we gather here? What makes this place different than CrossFit or a wine club or a book club? Do we actually believe people can experience a connection with God here? So we're going to be looking at Matthew 21. If you have your Bible, you can start turning there. Uh, But before we read it, I want to set up this scripture a little bit. Uh, I I want you to imagine that you are living in a distant village uh, in the ancient world, and you've always had the desire to take a pilgrimage to Jerusalem to see the temple. Now, my my parents, as a young kid, they brought me on a pilgrimage to see one of the greatest uh, things in the entire country, Wrigley Field in Chicago. (laughs) And so I remember that pilgrimage. But imagine you're in the ancient world and you've always wanted to go to the temple because you've heard that's a sacred place where heaven and earth meet together. And so you load up your donkey. It's the latest model. It's really fast. It's good. And uh, it's a long, hard journey. And the kids are constantly saying, are we there yet? Are we there yet? And you're like, so help me. If you don't stop asking this, I'm going to pull this donkey over. But then you finally get there. And it's beautiful. The temple is beautiful and massive. It's it's bigger than multiple football stadiums. And because it's Passover, it is super crowded. Like two million people are crowded in this small uh, city. And then you go to find the dove seller because you're, you're not rich enough to afford a lamb. And so you get to the dove seller and he starts hassling you about your money. And around that time, this is where we pick up in Matthew 21. You start hearing the crowd whisper, saying, it's him. He's there. Matthew 21, 12, we see this. And Jesus entered the temple. You crane your neck and your heart starts fluttering as he comes in. Jesus enters the temple and he walks right in front of you, almost close enough where you can touch him, right to the dove seller's. And he goes to those who are buying and selling in the temple, and he overturns the tables of the money changers. He grabs the seats of the very dove seller right in front of you, and he flips the chairs over. And he says to them, it is written, my house should be called a house of prayer, but you are making it a robber's den. And then after that, the blind and the lame came to him in the temple, and he healed So my first sermon at Highway, and it's the one story where Jesus loses it. (laughs) And some of you might be thinking right now, you're like, is this guy like passive aggressively telling us he's going to come to our church and like turn over all the tables? No, no, I'm not doing that. The point is much deeper. Why is he doing this? Why is he doing this? Actually, Jake uh, sent me a picture back to the AI renderings. Uh, AI, when it interprets this passage, this is what it came up with. Uh, This is Jesus flipping over the tables. (laughs) Like a ninja. Again, AI, maybe not quite ready to take over the world quite yet. (laughs) But why does he do this? Like, uh, we have all seen these kind of videos where on a plane or in a store, someone loses their mind, and we call them Karens. 
which is super unfortunate. If your name is Karen, I feel bad for you. Uh, but is this like Jesus's Karen moment? Was he just exhausted? Like, why did he do this? What was the purpose? Uh, one of the reasons that we're going to talk about next week is, uh, is the, the collectors, the dove sailors were exploiting poor folks. They were exploiting, exploiting folks that were on the outside. And so Jesus comes in. He's passionate about everybody having a place at the temple, and he's, he's angry about the injustice. And next week, we're going to talk about that. We're going to talk about this action that he takes for others. But the other reason, I think, is this. Because the temple had become a lot like Disneyland. We were in Disneyland last, <laughs> a couple of weeks ago with our kids. And this had become a place where tourists would come and they would exploit you, you know, at Disneyland where you're thirsty. You're like, can I get a bottle of water? Like, yeah, it'd be 20 bucks. <laughs> you tell your kids, you're like, I can't afford to keep you hydrated today. I'm sorry. Uh, but the temple had sort of become like this. People would come in and they were getting exploited. It had become a place of money making and exploiting others. And this was not the purpose of the temple. This was not the intention. What was the purpose and intention of the temple? To connect with God. To commune with the divine. It was a place where the heaven, heavenly and earthly could meet together. It was a place to worship and draw near to God. And Jesus says this was meant to be. He doesn't say a house of scripture, although that's important. He doesn't say this is meant to be a house of fellowship, although that's important. He doesn't say this is meant to be a house of preaching, although I personally like that one. Uh, he says this is meant to be a house of prayer, a house of prayer. And that's the word for us today at Highway. Uh, people have asked me, like, what's your new strategy going to be? What's the new vision going to be? And maybe you've been thinking that, like, what's this new guy going to bring? What's the ideas, creativity? And uh, yes, those are important. And we will come up with those. We will work on that. But my first sermon here, I wanted to put a stake in the ground. Uh, I wanted to remind us what this deal is all about. Highway will be a house of prayer. A house of prayer. See, I have a hot take. I don't have a lot of hot takes, but one of my hot takes is this. In a post-Christian, in a post-modern, in a post-COVID world, uh, people are not interested in the church organization anymore. In the old days, people might come because that was, uh, it would give you good standing in the community. You might go to the church to meet new people, or maybe it was just the thing to do in America. Uh, not anymore. I believe the only way for a church to flourish, to see fruit of discipleship, to thrive, is by a work of God, by divine connection, by a group of people that create space to be a house of prayer. And I think Jesus was so passionate because we can easily miss this. Those of us who even talk about following God and believing in him can miss it altogether. Now, some of you in this room, as I talk about a house of prayer, when you hear the word prayer, uh, instantly your, your brains go in different places. For some of you, you think about a time you had a prayer meeting in your life and it was someone mentions, hey, can we pray for uh, my aunt's cousin's sick cat? 
<laughs> or if someone brings up a prayer request, it's more like gossiping, actually. They're like, hey, can we pray for Bob? I heard he's, heard he's got a gambling addiction. His wife might leave him. And for you, when you hear about prayer, you think about one of these kind of meetings, and it makes you just think, man, is prayer just boring or meaningless? For others of you, when you hear this concept of prayer, uh, maybe you're just burned out on prayer because it hasn't worked. Uh, years ago, when my dad was metaflighted in the middle of the night, uh, I, our whole family started praying for him. And the next day, I got, I got together a group of my, my church members, and we prayed hard for him. And nothing happened. The next night, he passed away. And for some of you in this room, that might be you. You've prayed for healing, and it hasn't happened. You've prayed to find a spouse, and it hasn't happened, or a job, and it hasn't happened, and you're starting to lose hope in this concept. For others, others of you, maybe prayer is just something that feels so, uh, uh, so out of touch, what out of touch, non-responsible people do, people that pray for their favorite sports teams, uh, people that pray for Taylor Swift to finally meet someone nice. <laughs> And you're like, is Travis Kelsey an answer prayer? I don't know if that works. Uh, they pray to find their keys or when their gas goes low in their car. And you're just like, man, these people don't get true responsibility in life. Or maybe for you, you hear me say the, the phrase house of prayer. And you think about uh, some overly charismatic or manipulative situation you've been in before. And you're like, oh, man, that just freaks me out a little bit. Uh, if that's you this morning, I want to be authentic with you, uh, I have all of these same barriers and holdups, literally. When I think about prayer, these are a lot of the things that swarm around my mind. But, but what if being a, a house of prayer meant less to do with being overly charismatic or avoiding action and responsibility and had more to do with doing things in, through, and with the Spirit of God? What if in one of the most secular, logical places in the world, there was a community that actually experienced spiritual renewal? They received in, through, and with the Spirit uh, great works, surprising action. This would be so countercultural. Uh, this morning, I, I have an image I want to share with you. This is a Jesus, uh, an image Jesus gives us of this concept of divine connection in prayer. And it's really cool. I found out uh, John actually used the same image a couple of weeks ago, and we didn't plan this at all. So it's really beautiful. So this is Jesus in John 15. He says, I am the true vine. My Father is the vine grower. Abide, connect. Stay close to me as I abide in you. Just as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I'm the vine, you're the branches, those who abide in me, and I in them bear much fruit. Because apart from me, you can do a lot of things. Apart from me, you can do some things. No. Apart from me, you can do nothing. You can do nothing. And this is such a beautiful illustration because uh, it's so simple. It's so easy, but uh, at the risk of hyperbole, I believe this image is the key to our spiritual connection with Jesus. It's the key to us being a house of prayer. Uh, so I'm not a, a wine 
a grower, so I didn't have a vine. You know, this will have to work. I uh, went to Home Depot, and the lady promised me that this would uh, pr- produce fruity limes, is what she said. <laughs> fruity limes, so that's a good thing. And so obviously here, we get the simple image, right? The source, the power, the vine brings this, and that fruit can come through that. But if we disconnect it, again, it's such a simple concept. But if we break apart from this vine, this is harder than I thought it'd be. (laughs) If we break apart from the vine, from the source, Jesus says, we can do nothing. Like I could grab a few of you uh, in here that I know are super smart and brilliant. And we could gather around, we could set this here, and we could have a meeting about this branch. And we could come up with some ideas. Maybe one of you would be like, we could just glue a lime on it. (laughs) That's one idea, right? We can come up with some strategies, but obviously, obviously nothing is going to work at this point. It doesn't matter uh, what we come up with. It's disconnected from the power source. That's simple. It's so simple. I know, I know. But I think Jesus uses these agrarian simple techniques to teach us deep, deep truths. If we are going to be a community that is a house of prayer, we have to remain connected to him. That's how this church will thrive and flourish if we allow his power to flow through, through us, if we can be conduits for him. But if we are disconnected, we can do nothing. We can come up with some cool events. We can maybe build some cool things, but it will not produce real spiritual work. So what will this look like for us at Highway? A couple of really practical things. Okay, let's get real practical. The first one is this. The first one is an invitation to only some of you, okay? Uh, some of you have what I would call a heat in your prayers. Maybe you're gifted or passionate about prayer. And we are going to assemble a prayer team. Often in the modern church, this kind of serving gets pushed to the back. Uh, but in the ancient days, like prayer was one of the primary ways it was seen to serve the church. And so if that is you, if you have a passion to do that, if you want to come before our services and pray over the room, or if you want to be on call for prayer uh, stuff, come talk to me afterwards, come talk to Julie afterwards, and we will assemble this together. Now, the second thing this is this. This is for everyone. This is for everyone. We're going to try an experiment this week, Okay. On Friday, this Friday, the 17th, we are going to have 24 hours of continuous prayer as a community. Now, maybe that sounds daunting, but your part is only 30 minutes of that. And so you can go uh, to highway.org slash prayer, and you can sign up for this. And this is not just a suggestion. I want you to pull out your phone right now, actually, and go to that URL. You don't sign up yet. And you could write down that URL if that's better. But we want to be intentional about this. We don't want to just do this and talk about it. We want to be intentional. Now, for some of us, uh, you're going to sign up early and you get a 1 p.m. slot. Good for you. (laughs) But if we're going to have 24 hours straight of this, some of us are going to have to pick 3 a.m. or 1 a.m. Like some of us are going to have to sacrifice a little bit there. But the concept is this. The concept is this. We do not want this season uh, to be built on a new pastor or new staff structure. We want to come before Jesus and we say, Jesus, this is your church. 
It's what Dean preached about last week. This is not my church. It's not your church. This is God's church. So we're going to take a time this Friday intentionally ask him to move in big ways. Now, those are two concrete things. Uh, but beyond that, I want to give you an invitation to join me in this season to pray continually, to ask God to do something powerful in our community. I don't know about you. I don't want to just play church. I want to be a part of a movement. I want to see God changing lives and moving in powerful ways. Okay, now back to the uh, end of my story I shared earlier. Um, my hardest, hardest decision in my life where I realized I was really just functionally making this decision happen by myself. And I had a moment of turning and repenting because I realized I didn't want this big decision to be made just on my own power. So what I started doing is I started fasting at lunch and going to this little chapel uh, that was at the church I was working at. And every lunch I would fast and I would just seek out God and I would pray to him. Uh, there was a worship song we were singing around the time that I would sing these words over and over again. All my hopes and dreams and all my fears, I will choose to trust your name in everything, with everything. And I would sing that over and over again. I'll choose to trust you, Jesus, uh, with everything. And I'm not a prayer master. And so during that hour, sometimes my legs would get sleepy. Sometimes I wouldn't know what to say, but it changed me. It changed me because it stopped becoming about a decision for a job and it started becoming more about connecting with Jesus to hear his spirit, to hear his voice. And eventually when Lori and I visited the bay, uh, we were just shocked by how powerfully we felt compelled to come here. Beyond pros and cons lists, beyond logic, uh, it just felt like God was drawing us. And it doesn't always work this way. It's not always that clear. But wouldn't it make sense for followers of Jesus to do everything possible to seek out what he would have to say to us? So right now, before we take communion and we abide in Jesus through the elements, uh, we're going to practice this together. I just want to give you uh, a little space to connect with God. And I've got this, uh, uh, the lime tree up here that you can use as an image if you want to reflect on that and contemplate uh, with that. But for others, maybe you just want to close your eyes. But just take a couple of moments and go ahead and close your eyes with me if you want to do that. And I just want to invite you to spend some actual moments with Jesus. And think about our community. Think about the future. And just talk to Jesus about what it would mean for our community to be a house of prayer. Talk to him and ask him to move, to speak, to guide. Talk to him about what it would look like to be connected to him continuously, to abide in him. Just take some moments with Jesus. Jesus.